Good morning and welcome to a September the 28th, uh, Tuesday morning edition of the Christian Underground News Network. I'm your host, Kurt Chamberlain, along with your co-host, Pastor Dick Chamberlain, and we have with us once again um, the very, very critically acclaimed and nationally <laughs> known uh, Christian author and, and conference speaker, Dr. J.B. Hickson. Uh, we are blessed to have him with us once again. Um, and I know that we're going to be covering some very important subject matter this morning. But before we get into that, uh, JB, I'd just like to tell you that uh, how much I enjoyed uh, your last series on that you're doing on Wednesday nights at Plum Creek Chapel. Uh, what in the world is going on? I, I really got some uh, great information out of it, loved it. And I especially loved your session eight wrap up of the 20 reasons that all of it matters. Uh, I, I really kind of, I, that may have been my favorite part of this. Amen. Yeah, well, welcome, uh, Curtis. Thanks again for having me on. I don't know about critically acclaimed, uh, unless you mean by that uh, people like to criticize me, but uh, other than that, <laughs> other than that, it's uh, just a joy and an honor to get to talk with you guys on Tuesday. And uh, yeah, um, boy, that What in the World is Going On series uh, was just, uh, it was a pretty heavy series uh, for me to put together and also to, you know, to dialogue each week with our audience in-house, as well as uh, those who watched the live stream. And, uh, you know, I hadn't, I wasn't really sure how long we were going to go with that series because there's so much happening so rapidly all around us. It would have been easy to just really continue week to week addressing current events and how they fit into God's plan of the ages and also Satan's plan to take over the world. But, you know, as I kind of went into it more and more, it just, and this often happens as I've studied this particular topic now for 14 or 15 years, it just got heavy on my heart. It's a, it's a lot of work to study and stay current and prepare each week. And then I was getting a lot of flack from uh, people, mostly Christians who don't agree, which is always discouraging because they don't want to take the time to look at the facts and the evidence. They just uh, already have their minds made up sometimes and just start criticizing uh, without studying it. And it just got to be where I thought, you know, I think I've put enough information out there. Um, as I've said before, uh, we can explain it for people, but we can't understand it for them. Um, and uh, I just felt like it was time to step away for a little bit. You know, we did the same type of thing uh, uh, last fall uh, when I went through the 18-part series on Spirit of the Antichrist, and uh, that was a longer series, but each session was a little shorter. Most of the sessions were 45 minutes or so, and, um, but again, after, after several months of that, it just got to be where, okay, let's take a break and step back, and so we did some other topics uh, not really related to the end times and the Luciferian conspiracy. But this fall, with everything, or this summer, rather, with everything going on, and of course, the rollout of the forced uh, vaccinations in so many places, I felt like it was time to issue a warning, to sound the alarm, and kind of, once again, look at current events through the lens of Scripture. So we did it, and it's a, I think it's a fantastic series. We did wrap it up last Wednesday after eight parts, uh, some of them two hours each, most of them about 90 minutes or more, between 90 minutes and two hours each. Um, and I think probably most of your listeners have been kind of tracking with us for that series. But if you're listening to this podcast today and you've not watched that, uh, we're leaving those up uh, to watch for free. Uh, just go to notbyworks.org and uh, click, uh, or if you go to the videos highlight, uh, the videos uh, menu, uh, you'll see under that a, a subheading of what in the world is going on. And if you click on that, you'll you'll see all eight videos there. Um, there's also a highlight. Uh, uh, announcement on the highlight carousel on the main homepage. If you just kind of scroll through that, you'll see a link to all eight videos. But um, it's also available in audio. I know some people prefer to listen to the audio like they are this uh, podcast this morning. If you like to listen in your car or while you're jogging or something, uh, you can go to any podcast provider and search for Not By Works Ministries and then scroll through over the last few months. You'll find them listed by date. Uh, so it's What in the World is Going On, parts one through eight. And um, we kind of wrapped that up with why does all of this matter in case there were people out there, and I know there were because I was, I was hearing from them uh, that thought, hey, what's the big deal? Why do we need to talk about this? And so I gave 20 reasons 
why all of this matters. And I could have given more, but uh, I just kind of stopped at 20 because I really believe this is a critical topic for such a time as this that people need to be aware of. So yeah, thanks for helping us promote it. And, and, uh, and I know some of our sessions here on Tuesdays uh, tended to dovetail from uh, what we're talking about in that series, but um, we're excited to announce a new series that'll kick off tomorrow, uh, Wednesday, September 29th. It'll also be every Wednesday night at six o'clock and we will live stream at six o'clock mountain time. That is so uh, six o'clock mountain, seven central, eight Eastern, five Pacific, but, uh, and it's going to be called how to read and understand the Bible. And basically it's a basic Bible study methods type of course, if some of your listeners uh, are familiar with that terminology. In uh, Bible colleges and seminaries, they call it hermeneutics, which is just a term that refers to the science and art of studying the Bible. Uh, but there is a method, uh, a correct method, one and only correct method, frankly, to studying the Bible. And so we're yep. going to spend the next few months really talking about uh, how to study the Bible. I'm calling it how to read and understand the Bible. And already hearing from a lot of people, both at Plum Creek Chapel uh, here in the Denver area, as well as online and other uh, people that are part of the Not By Works ministry, uh, that there's some great anticipation and looking forward to it. Uh, a couple of uh, programming notes. Uh, that series is going to be only an hour each Wednesday, give or take. I mean, I, we may go over now and then for Q&A, but generally we're going to target six to seven mountain time. And uh, it'll probably be longer. I mean, I expect it to go at least through the end of the year, possibly into next uh, January and February, uh, because we're going to go a little slower. We're going to interact during the session. I'll take questions. It'll be more like a classroom setting. Uh, oh, I'll, I'll have some exercises and some just some different uh, in, you know, things that we can do as a group to kind of reinforce some of the principles of uh, the best way to correctly handle the Word of God. So that starts tomorrow. Uh, we will have the audio pod, uh, podcast each week posted by late Wednesday night, early Thursday morning. But I hope uh, people will tune in live. Uh, it's also going to be live streamed again uh, every Wednesday night, and we'd love to have you as part of it. Amen. Amen. Uh, important subject matter. Uh, every bit as important as a subject matter in your last series. Um, maybe even more so, really, to be honest with you. So it, it's vital that. Uh, that if you've been following JB and uh, his last series, that uh, you tune in for this upcoming series because uh, it will help you to understand in context what's going on today. And uh, it'll help you to understand all of it better and will help you uh, handle, learn how to handle the Word of God correctly. And I think that's what we're going to talk about today, correct, JB? Yeah, it is. I thought, uh, you know, as we week to week, as we kind of talk about uh, what we want to share on these Tuesday morning podcasts here on the Christian Underground News Network, um, I felt like it would be good to kind of uh, as somewhat of an introduction or teaser, if you will, to this new series, uh, talk about some common mistakes uh, that people make when studying the Bible. And uh, by the way, I might add that uh, you are so right about the importance of this subject um, and one of the reasons I feel like the Lord uh, kind of led me in this direction after we finished what in the world is going on was because uh, now that we kind of know what is happening from the perspective of the battle, the spiritual battle, the cosmic struggle between good and evil and the Luciferian agenda to take over the world, uh, we need to be able to respond to it appropriately. We need to have the tools and the resources to be able to navigate these unsettling times, and uh, the Bible gives us uh, those tools. Uh, the Bible is our true north. It's our, it's our refuge in the storm, if you will, and so uh, I find that a lot of people value the Bible. They understand it. I mean, they, they respect it, uh, and they even read it, but they don't really always understand what they're reading, uh, and that's because there's been a lot of bad teaching out there about the Bible, and they have some misconceptions about the Bible. They think it's some kind of mystical uh, book that is, you know, that, you, that it's hard to understand, uh, especially if people are from a well, Roman. Esoteric knowledge. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And uh, <laughs> you, they, uh, they, sorry about that. Yeah, that's all right. You're a busy guy, JB. 
Yeah, well, it was uh, President Biden, but he'll have to call me back. Um, so, <laughs> I, I thought I'm not sure I'd want. I'm not sure I'd want to talk to him. I thought I, I thought I'd put him on my blocked call list, but apparently that didn't work. Um, <laughs> but um, anyway, um, yeah, you know, people. A lot of it has to do with you know the the Roman Catholic influence on Christianity over the over the centuries. Uh, you know, teaching that the lay person's not supposed to read the Bible for him or herself, that only priests can get this special meaning. And so there are a lot of bad influences out there, but uh, I really believe that it's an exciting thing to study because uh, as we see things unfolding, and again, you and I both believe, we talk about this all the time privately, that things are going to get worse and worse. Um, We certainly hope not, and we pray that they don't, but the trajectory uh, is not good, as we talked about in my previous series. Um, but uh, therefore, I think we need to 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 know how to to use the the sword of the Word of God correctly and uh, gain principles from it that we can employ immediately in these uh, in these last days uh, times. So, so yeah. So today, as we you know introduce this series that we will kick off tomorrow. And a lot of the things I'm going to talk about today, we will cover in, in much greater detail in the weeks to come on this Wednesday night series. And again, you know, just to make sure people know where they can find it, if you just go to notbyworks.org, our website, uh, the videos are always posted there. You can click the live stream button every Wednesday night at six o'clock mountain and uh, join us live. But uh, everything you'll need is, is right there at our website, notbyworks.org. But what I'd like to do today is to talk about some uh, common mistakes that people make when studying the Bible. And my guess would be that a lot of listeners probably make these mistakes and don't even realize they're making them because it's just so commonplace to handle things uh, this way. And I'd like to, to go to Scripture uh, to kind of introduce our subject uh, this morning, and uh, I'd like us to turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. Uh, obviously, if you're listening to this uh, uh, online or, you know, while you're driving or doing something else, then of course, uh, you know, need to turn there. But for those of you that may have a Bible handy and can do so, uh, we want to look at Nehemiah <coughs> chapter 8. Uh, and, uh, and I want to just point out, you know, a couple of things here from, uh, you know, from the the text that I think remind us of how, you know, uh, we, we are, how the Bible, God's Word, is understandable. It is, there's a certain method to reading and understanding it. And so Nehemiah was written uh, roughly 400 uh, BC, so, so 400 um, years before Christ. And uh, many people know uh, the history and the story behind Nehemiah, as he helped uh, the children of Israel returning from exile, rebuild the walls. Um, But in chapter 8, what we find is that the children of Israel are uh, reading from the law. Now, the law in their day was the Bible. It was was the Old Testament, and it was the first five books of the Old Testament more specifically, but it is what uh, we would call the Bible. It was their message from God inspired uh, that was given to them to help lead and guide them. And uh, every several years, the people would in Israel would assemble, typically uh, in conjunction with the Feast of Tabernacles, and they would uh, renew their commitment to the Creator God, Yahweh, their personal God, the covenant-keeping God, and, uh, and their commitment to His Word, the law. And so right. this is what we see happening here. Uh, Ezra uh, says at the end of chapter uh, 7 that when the seventh month came, the children of Israel were in their cities, and now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women, and all who could hear and understand on the first day of the seventh month. In other words, there were some younger children and people who obviously were at an age, babies and so forth, that could not hear. But anyone that was of age and able to comprehend language and so forth, 
was brought together. And then verse three in chapter eight says, then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday. Now that's a long time. Um, I don't even think Pastor Dick preaches that long, does he? Uh, every now and then, yeah. Every, every now and then, okay, yeah. I I can't remember. I was asleep during most of his uh, sermons, but uh, no, <laughs> not not hardly, not hardly. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah. Obviously, back in that day, it was a different day, and uh, it really is humbling, by the way, to when we compare how we as believers interact with the Word of God today in the 21st century, especially in America and the West, uh, versus how God's people through the centuries have interacted with it. You know, we are so dumbed down and so um, just uh, really seem to have lost uh, respect for the Word of God and, and the value of it. Uh, we get antsy if if the preacher talks longer than 20 minutes in some cases, you know. Yeah, if you're, so, if you're interfering with kickoff time you're in trouble yeah i know so i mean that's the problem we'll sit for three and a half hours and watch a football game but man you know you go longer than 30 minutes or so at a sermon and somehow you're going to hear about it but uh, anyway that's another story um occupational hazard i guess but uh, so he he uh he read it in the open square before the men and women of those who could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law now, here we see in verse 4, Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood, which they had made for that purpose. And this is, best we can tell in history, the first reference to a pulpit of some kind. Um, right. It was a public meeting. In this case, it was outside. Um, they didn't have these massive, um, you know, buildings. And, of course, uh, uh, the, uh, the temple had been restored, res uh, destroyed almost uh, 200 years earlier by the Babylonians. Um, but in any event, they stood in the open square and listened to verse four. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Now, many churches still have a tradition today that uh, they stand for the reading of God's word. Um, I think that's a good tradition. It's not a, a moral issue or something that is somehow mandated in scripture. It's more of a description than a prescription, but uh, certainly shows respect for uh, the, the reading of God's Word. And uh, Ezra, verse 6, blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, amen, amen. So clearly this was a Baptist church, and uh, <laughs> so, well, we need more amens. I told my people that Sunday um, that, boy, we could use some more amens from time to time. But uh, amen. Uh, then all the people, hey, thank you, uh, right on cue. <laughs> so all the people answered, amen, amen, while lifting up their hands. Well, wait a minute. I guess it's more of a charismatic church than a Baptist church. But uh, oh, yeah, it looks like yeah. it could be. Yeah. yeah, anyway, but nothing wrong with lifting up your hands, right? Even Paul said right. to Timothy, lift up holy hands. So uh, we could use a little more of that if you ask me. Um, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now look down at verse 8. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and watch this, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. Verse 8. I mean, that's it. That's in essence what we're going to be talking about is how can you read the Word of God and understand the Word of God? Um, and maybe and what is that, that uh, little uh, phrase in there and gave the sense what exactly does that mean yeah the normal plain contextual grammatical sense it wasn't that uh, the priests were uh divining some type of goosebump supernatural mystical meaning and that that only they could see they started as you as we just saw with the words on the page in the book and then right. they explained what those words mean. What is the plain, normal sense of in those context. words yeah. in, in context? context? Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think there's clearly a precedent for, you know, people expositing is what we call it today. Exposit just means explain, explain the meaning. So sometimes in conservative Bible teaching churches, you'll hear it refer, referred to as expository preaching. And uh, all that really means, though it has come to have a, a more narrow meaning in some 
places, but all it really means is that it's a church where the pastor explains the meaning of the Word of God, and he does so in its original context, keeping in mind the history, the setting, the meaning of words in their day, um, the grammatical construction, you know, what's the command, what's the subject, what's the noun. It's basically just common sense 101 for uh, communicating using language. Uh, Now, um, since I mentioned the concept of expository preaching, I thought I might add that in some circles, particularly some of the more conservative, I might even say legalistic in some senses, uh, churches, they have further narrowed the meaning of expository preaching to mean that you are required to go verse by verse through a particular book of the Bible. To me, that is a, a, a style of, of preaching, and it's a, an appropriate one, and it's one that should be a part of the overall picture in any church. There ought to be a time when they're going through a book of the Bible, but it's not the only way to read and understand God's Word. You notice that even Nehemiah here didn't read the, enti- the entire Torah, <clears throat> starting with verse 1, and, and go through it. That would have taken months, if not years. Uh, so uh, the, the point of ex- exposition is to make sure you are correctly handling the Word of God, that the principles that you are drawing out of God's Word are true to the text, and that you explain the immediate context and the setting and where the, the passage fits in the flow of thought. So sometimes that's referred to as more topical preaching because uh, we, we go to the Bible with a particular topic in mind and want to answer the question, what does God's Word say about such and such a topic? But even when doing that, we can be expositional. We can preach, you know, from an expository framework of explaining the accurate, plain, normal sense, as as Nehemiah said, of the passage. And so, you know, I am more of a theologian. I That's where God led me and my passions and desires. My degrees are in systematic theology, so I love to compare Scripture with Scripture, connect the dots, see what the whole counsel of God is about a particular topic. So I find myself often doing series on that are more topical, and the minute some people hear that, uh, that are kind of from a conservative Bible teaching background, they get a little uneasy because they have somehow equated topical preaching with, you know, the Joel Osteens of the world who, you know, wouldn't know a Bible if it smacked them in the head, which, you know, speaking of that, uh, well, anyway, um, so, uh, but, uh, you know, he begins every message, uh, you know, here is my Bible, watch me ignore it, you know, but anyway, um, uh, but they, they tend to equate topical preaching with those preachers that, that really aren't rooted in the text, they're just waxing eloquent, and, and many times they're good speakers, they're, they're good orators, uh, they're articulate and, and have good illustrations and stories, but their sermons are those kinds of sermons where if, uh, if the uh, sermon had had uh, COVID, the Bible would never catch it because it's that far from uh, the Bible. So, um, you know, so, but that's not what we mean necessarily by topical. To me, the, the, the way you should preach and teach the Word of God is expositional, regardless of what your sermon theme or subject matter is. And um, as I said, it can, it, it should be a part of every, uh, I think, local church to, at times throughout the year, teach through books of the Bible, because you want to make sure that they're introduced to the whole counsel of God and, 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 not, and not ignoring parts of it. But that doesn't mean that that has to be true in every case. So I, for example, at Plum Creek Chapel uh, in uh, Sedalia, Colorado, uh, suburb of Denver, you know, I preach three times a week when I'm in town, uh, twice on Sunday mornings and once on Wednesday nights. It's three different series uh, my, my general practice is for the Sunday morning worship, I'm going through a book of the Bible. Right now, we're doing selected Psalms. Uh, I just finished a 33-week series on the book of Hebrews, uh, and that's just been my practice. Um, for our nine o'clock hour, we're doing a topical study on the end times, and we're studying 
basically eschatology is this theological term. And then Wednesday nights, we've done all kinds of uh, subjects relating to the doctrine of salvation and eternal security. Of course, we did what in the world is going on. Uh, and we've done, uh, but even in that, when I went to the word of God each week, hopefully I was correctly handling it and explaining it in its context uh, to make a point. And of course, now we're going to move into a, again, more of a, what might be called topical approach, which is to study the correct methods for interpreting scripture. So uh, anyway, I hope that makes sense. Any comments on that, uh, Pastor Dick? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm learning. Thank you so much. <laughs> now, now, when you say, when you say topical study, uh, do you also use uh, the uh, administration of the key word study Bible, a study uh, lesson, for instance, in the book of Romans, I think chapter eight, we find the, the word Holy Spirit 18 or 19 times. And so you think that's a good method? Yeah, in fact, that's one of the principles that we're going to talk about uh, in this series. I don't know that we'll get to it today, because today is uh, just sort of an introduction of some common mistakes people make. Uh, but in my How to Read and Understand the Bible series, we're going to talk about one of the principles, which is to look for what's repeated. Um, when, yeah. when, when words are repeated in the inspired Word of God, uh, that's for a reason. And uh, so... Uh, I think that's very helpful. And, you know, you mentioned, uh, again, topical. There are topical Bibles, which essentially uh, you look up a topic like angels, for example, and it's going to list a lot of verses in the Bible that touch on the subject of angels. And so th th that can be helpful. Again, to me, that's the highest uh, form of Bible study is you start by studying it in its context and make sure you understand you know, exactly what was meant in a given context. But, you know, the Bible tells a story from, from Genesis to Revelation. And, you know, sometimes we want to go to the Word of God and say, what does the Bible say about money or about language? For example, I would encourage listeners to go and uh, listen to my uh, sermon from just this past Sunday, two days ago. Uh, in my series on selected Psalms, I was in Psalm 19, and I gave a a quick overview at the beginning of the entire 14 verses of, of the psalm and talked about uh, the word uh, being revealed through creation and then through the written word. And then, uh, and then I focused in on the last verse in that psalm, Psalm 19, verse 14, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in thy sight, uh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And so, so then I shifted into having sort of explained, you know, the passage and And by the way, if I can just interject, I'm also one of those who, who loves to see the big picture and, and, and keep it simple and get, get to the main point. Um, so like when I do jigsaw puzzles, I'm the type that likes to look at the box cover, uh, whereas some people somehow like to do the puzzles by just examining in great detail every single piece and trying to figure it out. I, I like to look at the big roadmap. Amen. And, and so, you know, I'm sure there are pastors and Bible teachers that could have spent weeks on those 14 verses in Psalm 19, and that's fine too. If that's where they are led, I'm sure there's a lot of truth that can, can come from really digging in word by word, letter by letter. But my tendency and preference is to kind of look at the big picture. So having done that, it only took me 15 minutes or so to really explain what was going on in Psalm 19 and what the big picture is. But then I shifted, and if you listen to the sermon from Sunday, you'll see this, for the rest of the message, about 30 minutes, it was about a 40-minute message, into what I call a theology of words. What does the Bible as a whole say about how we should use our words, and what are some dangers to watch out for? And, and so... Uh, so that was a, you know, kind of a combination uh, of both, but uh, both, you know, expository and what we might call topical. But, you know, when you, you know, one of the principles that we'll talk about in this series starting tomorrow is that a doctrine cannot be considered uh, authoritative unless it considers everything the Word of God says about that subject. Uh, so, for example, if a person wants to study, you mentioned the Holy Spirit, if they study the Holy Spirit, but they only focus on the book of Acts, 
they might come up with a totally different pneumatology or study of the Holy Spirit uh, conclusions. But we've got to study a topic from Genesis to Revelation, and that's what we call in academic circles systematic theology or, uh, you know, co correlating, synthesizing one passage with, uh, with another. So, uh, again, I, I feel like uh, expository preaching means correctly handling the Word of God, and, and, uh, and that leads us to some of the mistakes that we're going to talk about uh, today. And uh, one of those is the, the failure to recognize the context, ignoring the immediate context of a passage. Um, we see this over and over again with what I call bumper sticker theology, where people will grab a verse and, you know, sort of memorialize it, if you will, on a bumper sticker or a poster and they really have no idea what the greater context is. And, you know, I pointed out before, and it's often been pointed out, that the smaller the passage being studied, the greater the chance of error in interpretation. Uh, we, the smaller the passage being studied, the greater the chance of error in interpretation. We've got to broaden the context, know what was said, you know, right before it and what was said right after it. So, let me give you some examples, and I know you'll appreciate these uh, because you've recognized them as well. But uh, this past uh, July, a lot of places, Christian you know, ministries and places around the, the country, on July 4th, were quoting 2 Chronicles 7.14. Mm -hmm. if, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Well, I don't think most people have any clue what the original context of that is, and that it has to do with King David and the nation of Israel and the, you know, uh, dedication of the temple and calling God's chosen nation Israel back to him. And so there's nothing in that historical narrative portion of scripture that is prescriptive, that is somehow giving a universal principle for all nations. Now, we could go to other passages that clearly in God's Word are broader and more wisdom literature and that, that are clearly applicable to all nations, like, um, you know, uh, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, or uh, how about uh, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any nation. So right there in the text, uh, and that's in Proverbs, I think. Uh, but right there in the text, you've got the reference to all nations. So sometimes, you know, this mistake of ignoring the context doesn't necessarily mean the principle or the conclusion that people are giving is unbiblical. It's just an example of sometimes tying the wrong verse to the right principle. And, uh, you know, another one that we uh, see is, is that's common is Jeremiah 29 11. Um, I mean, this one's a very, very uh, common, uh, where again, in the context of Israel, reminding, for I know the plan that I've made for you. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. For I know the thoughts I think, this is New King James, I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. But, you know, a lot of people know this verse, uh, you know, in the NIV, which is, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And every time I, I mention this in my hermeneutics classes at, at the college and seminary levels that I've taught for years, uh, you know, I'll inevitably have students really uh, chafe at this and push back because this verse has become very meaningful uh, in a subjective way to people. And, and they hang their hat on Jeremiah 29, 11, for the principle that God has plans for their life, that he wants to prosper them and not harm them, and particularly in uh, some of the more charismatic churches, the more name it and claim it, word of faith type churches, they say, you know, God, God wants to make us prosper, you know, and the point is God definitely does have plans for individual lives, but that's not at all what God's word is saying in Jeremiah 29, 11. and in fact, one of the dangers of not focusing on the original context 
is not just that you could end up with an erroneous meaning, but conversely, you miss the richness and, and power and joy of the true meaning. Mm-hmm. And Jeremiah 29, 11, when understood in its context, reminds us that God is a covenant-keeping God, that the promises that he made to Israel he will not forsake, that in spite of Israel's repeated disobedience, these were unconditional covenants, he will be true to his word, they can count on a kingdom someday, and, and it really you know, gives us a lot of great truth about the God that we love and serve. And so, you know, Jeremiah 29, 11 is not about God's personal plan for your life. That doesn't mean God doesn't have a personal plan for your life. Uh, we know that, uh, you know, David, for example, said, before he formed me in the womb, he knew me. So God certainly does uh, have plans uh, for our lives, but uh, it's an example, once again, of not really understanding. So the, the, the term that is used for this mistake is, is often proof texting, proof texting. And what people will do, and you see this a lot in, in writing, uh, is that people will take uh, a passage or, or make a statement, you know, and then they'll put in parentheses after that statement a bunch of scripture references. And frankly, when we read Christian books by Christian authors and we come across those occasions where they, they make some statement and then they put a bunch of verses in parenthesis, we really don't often take the time to look up those verses, do we? I mean, we just uh, sort of assume, well, there's Bible verses that prove this point, so it must be true. That's why we call them proof texting. But often, if you'll take the time to look up the verses, at least in my experience, I've found that a lot of times I'm having trouble seeing how the, the, the writer of that book, you know, the, the Christian book, got from the principle that he's espousing or she's espousing to the, this verse, that they don't really seem to connect. Um, and, you know, I uh, really learned this uh, when I was in seminary the second time. I had a professor that was, uh, has really influenced my thinking in a lot of areas, a great man of God. In fact, I'm going to see him in, uh, next week at, when I'm at the Duluth Bible Conference. Uh, if anybody lives near Duluth, by the way, uh, come check us out. There's several great speakers, and uh, it's a, a three-day conference, and uh, should be a wonderful time in the Word of God. We're going to be racing through Revelation is the theme for the conference. I'm going to be speaking about Revelation chapters 14 to 16, but anyway, you can learn more about that at DuluthBibleChurch.org. But uh, this particular mentor of mine really taught me the value of making sure that you're not just punctuating principles that you state with um, superfluous Bible verses, as if to say, this isn't JB talking, it's the Bible. And it's okay to put references, but you better be sure that they really relate to what you're saying. Uh, in other words, they're true to the text. And uh, so, so proof texting is a common mistake where we ignore the immediate uh, context. Uh, we could talk about uh, several others. For example, in Psalm 46, uh, which is uh, a uh, psalm of the sons of Korah, verse 10. I mean, here's a verse that uh, I bet we've all heard or quoted. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations, and I will be exalted in the earth. And often people will pull that out of context, and, and, and the way they apply it is, um, you know, let's just be quiet and go off and have some quiet time and just really meditate and rest and recognize and think about God, recognize that He's the, the great Creator God and that He's the one that's exalted in all the earth. Uh, it's certainly true that God is the Creator God and that God is a sovereign and that God is exalted in all the earth. Uh, but in this passage, be still literally means, and this is where you have to recognize that, you know, the Bible wasn't written originally in English, and sometimes it helps to have a good commentary or Bible word study tool, like Pastor Dick mentioned earlier, that can kind of dig a little deeper and show us the original sense of the word. But be still means stop striving, stop fighting. Uh, in the previous verse, he says, uh, in the previous context, he says, come behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars 
to cease to end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in fire. And the idea here is, therefore, stop fighting. Stop making war and declaring war on other nations. He's talking again to the nation of Israel here. He says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, a phrase that he repeats twice in the passage. Uh, so the context is war and nations coming against Israel and coming against each other. And he says, all these nations need to stop fighting and recognize who's really in charge. Stop taking matters into their own hands. So once I really studied that passage and understood the, the context, uh, now it's a great application for whenever I feel like I'm taking matters into my own hands, I'm going to force something to happen. Uh, God will put this verse on my heart and I'll realize, you know what, I need to stop striving, stop, cease, uh, stop uh, fighting, stop pushing so hard. Let's just know that God is God and let him bring this about according to his will. So it's not a sort of meditative type of be still and think about God. Uh, and yet it is a matter of, you know, stop taking matters into your own hands. So there are many others that we could uh, talk about that people take out of context. You know, the, the famous passage in Matthew 18, where two or three are gathered in my name. Um, you know, people don't understand the context there is church history. Um, and uh, what about Isaiah 55? Uh, you know, that's another one, Isaiah 55, 8, that I think is very misunderstood. I, I hear people saying this all the time, but Isaiah the prophet says, for my, this is speaking for God, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, uh, nor are your ways my ways, rather. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And we tend to apply that in, in the sense of, God's wisdom is not our wisdom. But in the context, God's ways and our ways are not, you know, wisdom, it's behavior. Because he, he goes on uh, to talk about, you know, uh, or, or in the context of the immediately preceding verse, he says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Because his behavior and his thoughts are not consistent with the holiness of God. So when he says, your ways are not my ways, it's an indictment. It's a straighten up, behave, stop behaving immorally, is what he's talking about. It's not just a general principle that, well, God knows more than we do, and you know he does things in mysterious ways. No, that's not what you know Isaiah 55, 8 is talking about at all. It's an indictment on Israel that the wicked people, their thoughts are not consistent with God's truth, and their ways are not consistent with his ways. So again, that's a, a, another example where if you miss the original context, you're missing out on a, on a great truth of God's word, that we want to make sure that our behavior and thoughts align with the purity and awesomeness uh, of God's word. Uh, so uh, you know, uh, we could talk about many, many more, but I think we kind of get the idea there that how important context is. You've got to, to stop put looking at just one small section, but broaden the approach. No, under, no one understand what was said right before, what was said right after. And if you think about it, that's the way we read and understand any literature. And the Bible, though it is an inspired book in the sense that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is infallible. It is the very word of God. 3,800 times the Bible says, thus saith the Lord. Uh, yeah. But the language in which it is written is intended to be understood and interpreted just like any language. It's not a mystical book. And if you think about it, you know, if we were to pick up any other book, like if you were to pick up one of my books and just randomly turn to page 150, and uh, start reading a sentence, and then try to explain the meaning, it's going to be a little difficult if you don't know the name of the book, the purpose of the book, the immediate context of the chapter of that book, and the immediate context of the sentence that you pulled out of context. Um, so that's the reason I always tell people when reading any, uh, any you know, human book, uh, you always want, if there's a preface or an introduction and even a foreword by someone else other than the author, you want to read all of that because it sets the stage. Um, <clears throat> in my case, 
the preface, for example, in my latest book, uh, Top 10 Reasons Some People Go to Hell, really is, I put a lot of time into that. It really addresses the whole point of the book, and it, and, it, and it specifically addresses unbelievers and skeptics that might pick up the book. And then I also talk to believers who are reading the book and explain where I'm coming from and what I hope uh, to accomplish in the book. And <clears throat> so if you just start reading the book and, and skip over the preface, you're missing out. So uh, you know, I, have an, I have an example for that also, JB. Yeah. Uh, I, wrote, I wrote a book entitled The Judas Epidemic back in 2011. I uh, had it published in 2012, uh, but what prompted me to write that book was actually reading um, The Purpose Driven Church by Rick Warren, and I read, you know, the, um, the, um, what, what the, the, the statements in the front made by uh, various Christian leaders uh, regarding the book that they had read and, and, and whatnot, and one of them was from W.A. Criswell, and it said, if we, if we are going to reach the unchurched, we need to start thinking more as a church like unbelievers. And that, is a, that was the, the, the preface of the whole book. That's why I entitled it The Judas Epidemic. You see? So you're right. You have to read all of that. Get it in context. Understand the meaning. Understand the reasons behind things. You bet. Yeah, and speaking of, I've got just a couple follow-up comments on both Rick Warren and W.A. Criswell. So first of all, that book, The Purpose Driven, uh, was it The Purpose Driven Church that you were talking about? Yes, sir. Yeah. So I read, uh, I think it was The Purpose Driven Life and wrote a, uh, 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 a critical review of it. It was many, like 14-page review, and it was published in the Journal of Ministry and Theology. At the time, I was full-time in academics. I was the dean at a uh, Bible college. And after that review was published, uh, I, got a, I got buzzed by my uh, office administrator who said, hey, the president would like to see you. Uh, and I said, sure, ask him when. And she goes, no, right now, he'd like you to come up to his office. So I went up to the executive floor of the school and walked into the president's office. And he and I were, you know, we, we interacted a lot uh, and, you know, I respected him, but uh, he sat me down and he had just read that review that I had wrote, written. And he proceeded to uh, rebuke me because he said, how dare I uh, criticize someone like Rick Warren, who has been used so mightily of God. And uh, in fact, his exact words were, JB, I would be loath to criticize someone who's been used as mightily as Rick Warren. And I just, uh, you know, held my ground and said, well, sir, you know, uh, honestly, it doesn't matter a person's statue or apparent influence. We need to hold them accountable to the truth of God's word. And uh, most of my critique had focused on his chapter on the gospel, which was just very poor. It had obliterated the gospel and it was promoting a false gospel. So I, I get into that in my book, Getting the Gospel Wrong. But there's an example of, I think, equivocating and not standing firm uh, for the truth of God's word. And, you know, as far as W.A. Criswell, I, uh, when I was a young seminary student, before I was even married, I was, uh, I did an internship at First Baptist Church of Dallas, which most of your listeners will know is where W.A. Criswell spent 50 years, I think. Uh, and he was still there. He, he had just retired, and he was the emeritus pastor, and uh, his first successor, there have been two or three others uh, now, but at the time, it was the guy that immediately took his place was the pastor. Uh, but I interacted with W.A. Criswell fairly regularly because he would come around our, our floor. They have multiple buildings there in downtown Dallas. And um, I was in the single adult ministry department as an intern. And I, my uh, job was in charge of recreation, but I also did some, some Bible studies uh, on our recreation nights. But anyway, we, we, I respected him, obviously, because of his stature and who he was. But um, one of the problems that I had is that man was so revered by people in the church that it became, whether they will admit it or not, I think the facts speak for themselves, a cult of personality, so mm -hmm. much so that uh, on one particular occasion while I was there, in honor of his retirement, they, this is, I mean, it's really hard to believe that nobody saw the, the trouble in what I'm about to say, but they literally made bronze busts of his uh, of W.A. Criswell's, you know, himself standing there holding a Bible with his head. They were about 
24 inches tall, and it was a heavy bronze bust, and sold them in the lobby of the church oh. to, to church members uh, in honor of W.A. Criswell. Now, I don't know how you get around the charge of, of idols and making idols. I mean, it's almost oh. verbatim what we saw the children of Israel do at the yep. bottom of Sinai. So, um, but again, I, you know, I wasn't part of that, and I don't, I, I hate to judge too harshly, but we do have to be careful about uh, elevating human leaders to a an un, to an untouchable status, you know. Um, right. I remind my you know students and people in my church and 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 constituents that listen and watch us on notbyworks.org regularly, and I'm sure you've heard me say it that you know don't just take my word for anything I'm saying. Just go to the Word of God yourself, study it for yourself, and draw your own conclusions. I hope that people will come back after studying the Word of God and say, you know what, we've come to the same conclusion as you. And that's what should happen if we're both handling the Word of God correctly. But what I don't want people to do is come back and say, you've convinced me, or, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this because, I, because of what you said. Um, mm -hmm. Because if that's their approach, then it's not going to take long before a, a, you know, more articulate, better looking, better speaker comes along and says something just the opposite and then they switch allegiances they switch sides and they're like a straw in the wind not rooted to the infallible you know word of god um so i know pastor dick would agree wholeheartedly that uh neither he nor i nor you curtis are infallible right <laughs> and right. Uh, so but the word of god is and so that is why it's so important to correctly handle the word of god because the teaching of God's word is only influential if we're handling it correctly. Does that make right. sense? A, a false interpretation is, is no better than any, than, than no interpretation, really. In fact, right. it can, in fact, it can be worse, you know? Right. So, we, we should, we should do our job uh, in, in uh, proclaiming the word of God and let God do his job, get out of his way and not be the famous Dick Chamberlain or J.B. Hickson, but just the, the uh, vessel. That's right. Yep, we are just vessels. Very well said, Pastor Dick. Although I might, I might say that I've always hoped one day that when I grow up, I will be like Dick Chamberlain. But, uh, I mean, uh, that would be my lifelong uh, goal if I could be, be like that. Okay. You can you can have my bad back if you like it. <laughs> no, thank you. I just want all your sermon notes. That's what I want. So uh, <laughs> I still use a lot of your stuff. You know, uh, I did a conference not too long ago in Nebraska that I entitled "Grace All Over the Place," and yep. I bet you guess where I got that title from. So, I, I know it, and I saw that. Yeah, and I and I, and I excoriated you silently. No, I yeah. Didn't. Yeah, did you get the royalty checks that that, that we sent you or not? Uh, <laughs> so, oh, I love you, Pastor Dick. Um, so, by the way, by the way, uh, one of the mistakes that we make is not enjoying the study of the Word of God like yeah. you and I and Curtis are doing right now. That's right. Yeah, Amen. Yeah, you know, in Psalm 119, that great acrostic psalm anonymous psalm with 176 verses by the way and yeah. 173 of them use a synonym for the word of god the bible absolutely uh, words like statutes testimonies precepts judgments and so forth yep. but yep. in that great chapter uh, i forget the reference you may know it by heart but it says open my eyes that i may see wondrous things from your law and uh, we want to understand that the word of god is is you know blessed is the man as psalm one says that that comes to the word of god so you know uh i'm glad you said that because one of the other uh, uh mistakes that i'd like to mention is a failure to distinguish between meaning and significance so oh. there is one meaning of each text uh, it's, it's a principle called the singularity of meaning in other words when the quill hit the sheepskin under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as these 40 human authors over a period of 1,500 years uh, recorded the written word of God, in that moment, God intended to communicate something in each case, singularity of meaning. But if we broaden that and say a particular verse can have multiple meanings, 
well, then it can have an infinite number of meanings. And then meaning is in the eye of the reader, not in the words on the page. So singularity of meaning is important. But that said, there is a distinction between the meaning of a text and its significance. Because as Hebrews 4.12 tells us, the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit like joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And so I'm sure you've experienced in, in your life, uh, sorry about that, uh, I'm sure you've experienced in your life that, um, you know, you can read the same passage that has one meaning again and again over the years, and the Spirit of God will use that passage in different ways to help you make a decision, help encourage or comfort you, whatever it might be. That doesn't mean the verse has multiple meanings. It just means that the, the, the significance of it is being used by the Almighty Creator uh, Amen. To, to mold and shape us. So meaning versus significance is a concept that a lot of people that read the Bible don't think about. And uh, so you'll hear phrases like, what does this mean to me? You know, or, uh, you know, in a, in a quote Bible study, which most Bible studies today are just a bunch of people sitting in a circle, you know, telling their problems to a facilitator. Uh, we don't have teachers anymore because a teacher in, in, implies that there's somebody knowledgeable that can speak authoritatively about the Word of God and is imparting knowledge through the Word of God to people. And that's not, you know, copacetic in today's postmodern culture. So we have facilitators, and they'll throw a verse out on the on the table, and then they'll have everyone go around and say, well, what does it mean to you? What does it mean to you? What does it mean to you? Well, that's wrong. That's, 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 it's, there's only one meaning. The question isn't, what does it mean to you? The question is, what does it mean? <laughs> and once you understand what it means, then you can say, now, here's how God has used that verse in my life to lead and direct me. Second so. Peter. Second Peter. Let's see. Yeah, I want to make sure I've got the reference right. But Second Peter, uh, chapter 1, verse, uh, verses 19 and 20. Yeah. But we also have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first. Whoops, did we lose you? Did I get cut off there? Yeah, you got cut off for just a second. You were just getting to the good part of that verse. Yeah, let me let me read that one one more time, uh, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. There is there one meaning. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, very very important uh, for people to understand that. But that doesn't mean that the God, the, the the word of God might have different significance at different times. And I know we're coming up on the end here, but I'll just mention that you know uh, I've read a chapter of Proverbs uh, each day for most of my life. Uh, I learned as a young uh, junior high student attending a camp at a summer camp at Word of Life uh, camp in Scroon Lake, New York, how to do a quiet time. In fact, uh, the late uh, Jack Wurtson uh, actually happened to lead my small group and show me how to, to do a uh, quiet time. I talk about this in the preface of my book, Weekly Words of Life, a little devotional book. I highly recommend if you don't uh, have a good devotional book, check that one out. It's called 52 uh, Devotionals to Strengthen Your Faith, uh, Weekly Words of Life. But in, anyway, another reason why you should read the preface, because I tell this story. But uh, Jack Wurtson taught us how to that there were 31 chapters in Proverbs. Uh, there's, there's, you know, 30 days in most months. So you could read a chapter of Proverbs each day, corresponding to what day of the month it is. And over the course of a year, you're going to read that chapter in most cases, uh, you know, 30 times or chapter 31, you know, half a dozen times. But uh, anyway, through the years, as I've had you know, print Bibles, uh, you know, that, you know, they wear out over time and I'll get a different one. But if I look back through some of my old Bibles, I'll have little notes written beside a particular proverb with a date and the way the Lord used that particular verse in my life at that time. That doesn't mean that that verse has changed meanings over time. It right. just means that the Lord of God used it that particular day to, to speak to my heart and give me some direction. Yeah. So. Amen. Amen. Well, well that's, that's what, thank you for, uh, yeah. 
for sharing some of these examples of common mistakes that are made uh, when reading and studying the Word of God. It's, uh, it is critically important that we do it the correct way, and I'm, I'm glad you're going to be addressing this in detail in your upcoming series at Plum Creek Chapel on Wednesday nights. Yep, starts tomorrow night, uh, 6 o'clock Mountain Time. Just go to notbyworks.org and click the live stream button. You'll see it there. If you're in the Denver metro area, boy, we'd love it for you to come by and, and, and join us in person, either on Sundays or Wednesdays. And uh, yeah, hopefully uh, our uh, listeners will uh, kind of take some things away from today's uh, podcast here on Christian Underground News Network and and uh, maybe pique their interest to, to be better stewards of how we read and understand the Word of God. Amen. Thank you for joining us again, uh, taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us on Tuesday morning, JB. You are a great blessing to our, our ministry here, and I hope that, uh, that uh, you're feeling the same kind of blessing. Uh, I know our listeners are. Amen. Thank you again, brother. Uh, uh, until we get to, to do this again next Tuesday, I want to remind our listeners that we have an ongoing series here with Pastor Dick on Saturday mornings, and that is the mysteries of the gospel. Well, what is a mystery? What is a mystery? And uh, so be sure, I think this, this Saturday is going to be a mystery of the rapture. Of the rapture. Okay. Oh, it's going to be good. Going to be good. Our blessed hope. Uh, so be sure to tune in for that. And then Saturday nights with Lucas Doremus, uh, I think we're still covering uh, some of the parables of, of the New Testament. So uh, be sure to tune in for those also. Um, so JB, thanks once again. Yes. Uh, may God bless you, my brother. And, uh, and uh, to our listeners, may God bless and keep you until we uh, are able to meet with you again this coming Saturday. This is the Christian Underground News Network signing off till Saturday. God bless.